Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is Mark Witten, and uh, I want to welcome y'all to my very first podcast episode. All right, it's called No Acres and a Dream. All right, and listen, man, you know, I was sitting around and I'm watching all of the content going on online right now, and I said, man, you know, it really would be good if I get out there and start bringing, you know, some people that I've worked with, some people that I know that's really out here in the game, that's really doing deals, that's really out here getting money, and really out here trying to educate and empower the community, right? Uh, so my first guest today, let me tell you all a little bit about him. All right. So I started doing real estate probably about, I don't know, maybe like 14 years ago. And I was wholesaling a lot, excuse me, wholesaling a lot of houses. And that's pretty much, you know, you find a house, you get it under contract, and then you find an investor or an end buyer to flip that contract to. So in my endeavors, I came across a couple uh, uh, from Baltimore, uh, I believe from New Jersey, actually. Uh, but in Baltimore, and they were buying a whole lot of houses from me, right? So I got them on the show today, and we're going to talk all about how they got started, how they making money, and it's some high-level real estate stuff. So make sure y'all paying attention, make sure y'all taking notes, and we're going to get right into it. So everybody, I want to introduce y'all to Janet Tompkins and Owen Tompkins. Good morning, all. And it's certainly a pleasure and an honor to be here this morning, and I don't take this for granted at all. Owen? Uh, likewise, I'm Owen Tonkins, and it's truly an honor to be here. Uh, we've watched Mark grow through the years, man, and we've really been impressed with him, and, and we're honored that he wants to have us on this podcast with him. All right. So we're going to get right into it, all right? Um, so, Janet and Owen, uh, tell everybody where y'all from and how y'all got started in real estate. Beauty first. <laughs> Hi, I'm Janet Tonkins, and I'm known as the Cash Flow Diva. Formerly known as the Baltimore real estate diva because I buy houses like other women buy shoes. And we're from Patterson, New Jersey. And we got started quite by accident. First of all, we were avid readers of Forbes magazine, Inc. magazine, Money magazine. And we looked at where wealth was made from. And 95% of all folks' wealth comes from owning assets, according to Andrew Carnegie, and then owning assets, owning real estate. So we decided that that was something that we perhaps would try. Now, when we first looked for a property, we were actually looking for a single-family property. And so through a mutual friend, we found an attorney who wanted to sell us his home. So we went into the home, absolutely lovely, in New Jersey. And he says, okay, if you guys really want the house, uh, we're not going to sign the paperwork today. We can do that next week. He said, my wife's nephew really wants the property, but we don't think he can qualify for the mortgage. So we'll get together next week. So next week comes, I don't hear from him. Two weeks go by, I don't hear from him. I'm in tears. So finally contact him and he says to me well we wind up selling it to my wife's nephew who by the way only kept it for six months but in order to compensate us what he did was through a mutual friend he had the friend call us and said he had a client that has a triplex or three family property on the corner of Broadway in Patterson New Jersey and asked them if they would like to purchase it so I talked to my husband, and I really didn't want a, a, a single family, uh, three family at the time. But we went, we took a look at it. And this, I want you to hear this. This is 1987. So on the first floor, there were seven rooms with three bedrooms. 
On the second floor, there were seven rooms with three bedrooms. On the third floor, there were four rooms with two bedrooms. And then we had five finished rooms in the basement, plus an office and a, a kitchen and a bar. So we decided, okay, well, let's buy this property. We paid $90,000 in 1987. We only put 4% down, even though we had saved 20%. We put 4% down, and because Patterson is an urban area, much like Baltimore, and we were first-time home buyers, we didn't have to pay for closing. And today you would call that house hacking, which is what I tell many of my mentees and my students, that's an excellent way to start. But when now you're, you're talking about inflation today and you're talking about how high the interest rates were, with our interest rate was 9% at that particular time. We refinanced that one property over five times refinanced and then cashing out each and every single time. Moved to Baltimore in 2001, sold the property for 2005. Now remember, how much did I say I paid for the property? 90000 We wind up selling that one property for 415000 gave the seller 15000 plus purchased a brand new furnace for $3,000. Now, where else? Can you do this in this country and in this United States? And then you don't have to have a college education. You don't have to have a degree or anything like that. But you do have to educate yourself. And so because we remember that one property and we didn't have to put the full 20% down, we wound up buying that very same year three additional uh, properties as well. I agree with Janet with everything she said. My background's a little different. Uh, I come out of housing in, in Patterson, New Jersey. I ran a housing department, which included Section 8, uh, building inspectors. Everything that had to do with economic development came under my purview. Uh, for me, I, again, I agree with Janet. You know, we begin saving money. We begin looking at all of the Forbes magazines, the Inc. magazines. But I'm going to be honest with you. I hated working for somebody so I got into housing so that that way we could really get out and start doing what we're doing today. As Janet mentioned, our first property, you know, that was our first deal. It was a, absolutely a great deal, but it was a learning experience, absolutely. too, too, because when we bought the property, that property had a tenant in it, in it. And once we closed on the property, we found out that that tenant was only paying, what, $200 a month rent. Mm -hmm. And we were told that the tenant was paying, I don't know, five, $600 a month. So what we did, you know, we came up with some excuse and told the tenant that, you know, you got to get out. My mother's going to move in. And, and uh, when, oh, when we, she went to pay us rent, she came up with a check for like $200. We were like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, the rent's five, $600. She said, no, here's my lease. It's 500 it's $200. So I said, hey, look, you know, um, after Janet and I talked, we said, well, we're going to have my mother move in, which she wasn't going to move in. We wanted to get the tenant to move out, out. So long story short, this tenant wound up taking us to court, I believe it was, and we wound up having to pay 5000 I think we paid her $5,000 mm -hmm. to get her out. Mm -hmm. But that was a learning experience. It's the good, you know, when we talk about real estate, we want to talk about the good and the bad in, in it. Because if you're going to be in this game for the long term, you're going to run into hopefully more good than bad, which we've been um, privileged to run into more good than bad. But you're going to have some experiences too too, that you're going to learn from. And what we learned from that is 
even today, we do not buy properties with tenants out of that. Uh, when we uh, close on the contract, if there are tenants there, they have to be out before we'll actually finalize the deal. Now, um, I remember when I first got started, um, and I was wholesaling you guys a lot of houses, and I remember saying to myself one time, I said, man, like, all right, let me think about this, think this through. Because I remember one time, Janet, you were talking about wholesaling. I was going to work with you just, you know, wholesaling. And obviously you was working with me uh, with the cash flow pole. Not obviously, for those of you who don't know, um, when I first got started in the buying and holding, uh, Janet was one of my first mentors, uh, told me all about Section 8, how it works. Uh, they even gave me copies of her contracts and leases and things like that that I would need to start building wealth. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. But what I was saying though, is that, um, you know, when I was wholesaling, I used to say to myself, like, man, if I've sold Janet, say 20, 25 houses, I made the money in the middle as a wholesaler, but she still owned these houses like five years later. You know what I mean? So Janet, for those people out there, and basically what I'm trying to say is I was thinking to myself, like, if I would have only kept those houses, I'd probably be a lot more wealthier than I am now. So Coming from not wholesaling, Janet, because a lot of people out there get started wholesaling, right? Say there's somebody out there right now who is not going to get into wholesaling. They want to get right into cash flow, buying properties, doing Section 8, whatever programs you're using. Uh, what would be their first step? Okay. The first step is what I tell everybody is you must do your due diligence and you must get some education before you, before you actually start. Because as, as Owen said, there are many, many, many pitfalls out there. It, you, and, and you have to identify a strategy. So and in that strategy, are you going to be buying single-family homes? Are you going to be buying multifamilies or apartment buildings? Are you going to do Section 8 tenants? Are you going to do market rate tenants or a combination of both? Uh, or do you have financing? Are you going to be no-money deals? Are you financeable? What's your credit scores? Because that's extremely important. That's going to determine how much you pay in interest rates and whether or not you can get a private money or a hard money lender. And by the way, we are all of those above. I'm also, we are private money lenders. We're also hard money lenders. And many of our students can get, depending upon their qualifications, can get 100% financing with us. But initially, you, wanna, you don't want to start with no money down because you're going to have to come. Uh, typically what I do is 65% towards the acquisition costs and then 100% of, uh, of rehab costs. But it's extremely important that you educate yourself, and you can just start that immediately. You need to learn your fair housing laws. You need to know what you can say and what you cannot say to tenants and things like, like that. For example, you can't ask a tenant how many children uh, they have, and you cannot discriminate against the um, disabled. In terms of pets, I mean, if there are service animals, then you cannot discriminate. You have to let the service animals into the home. So there's many, many bits, pieces, and parts to that. And so I always tell everybody to try and find a mentor if you can because a mentor is going to keep you they're going to they may cost you immediately but it's going to cost you if you're not i just got a call last week from somebody that had a pop a um property in baltimore for the last 10 years and they're not doing anything with it but they're complaining now because they're being fined by the city because they haven't done anything it's being boarded up 
and they have no earthly idea. They paid $50,000, first of all, in the area that they bought, and they live in D.C. They paid too much for the property, and they probably already put $100,000 in, whereas you get a $20,000 coach or a $30,000 coach, they could have told you initially, no, I wouldn't buy in that particular area. So it, it, you're going to pay on the front end or you're going to pay on the back end. So it, it, it's important that if anything that you want, you want to get somebody who's successful, who's been doing it, and that way that's going to cost you to make uh, less mistakes. So, Jan, I have a question uh, for, for those out there who are listening or watching. Uh, what if they're thinking, like, man, I don't have $20,000 or I don't have $30,000 for a coach, but they have all the mindset and all the ambition to get started? What would you say to those people? Uh, they can go on, on the Internet and they can get a whole lot of information. You remember when Owen and I started back in 1987, there were no Internet. And you can join a real estate investment association if they have them in your area. I'm on the executive board of the Baltimore Investment Real Estate Association. And I have to say, it is an absolutely great because I learned so much. That's where I, I met Mark at. I learned about it. I had no earthly idea what a hard money lender was, what a private money lender was. I had no earthly idea what a self-directed IRA was. I had no idea what a wholesaler was. I had no idea... Uh, so many things that I'm actually now partaking of and doing it. So I would say the first thing to do is to join an organization such as such as that because you learn so much and then you meet people uh, and you can wear a badge. You may be able to partner up with people. You may be able to utilize your sweat equity or some other skill that you can utilize if you don't have any money. Mark, yeah. can I piggyback on yeah, that? Yeah, go ahead, yeah. You know, one of the things that I think people look at a lot of these infomercials and they see, you know, they look at a 30-minute infomercial and they people talk about how, you know, they bought properties and all of a sudden they're making tens of thousands of dollars a month. I mean, that doesn't happen in the real world. You know, you have to have, as Janet mentioned earlier, you really have to sit down and develop a strategy, have a plan before you do anything, and you're going to spend some money. There's no, there's no and, ifs, and buts about it. Either you're going to, like Janet said, you're going to spend money on the front end. And the front end could be joining an association. The, the front end could be trying to identify a mentor, taking people out to lunch. Lunch. So often we run into people who want to get in the game, and they don't even want to do anything. They don't want to, if they, if they want to meet you, they don't want to pay for lunch. They want to invite you out, but don't want to pay for lunch. There's no such thing as a free lunch in this game. And, you know, Mark, you've been around a long time. You know that. I mean, yeah. you're going to pay. Pay. Any, anything that you're going to make money on, on you're going to pay. You're going to pay some dudes dudes to get in it. So, all right, I have a question. All right, because um, I know a lot of people out there probably, well, let me put it like this. I'm going to give you a scenario, right? Uh, let's say somebody out there that's listening or watching, and they've been doing all of their homework, right? They know how to find great deals. Like, they can go out and they can find great deals, but they want to build wealth, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they don't want to wholesale it. They want to, you know, they want to build wealth. So what I tell people is, uh, it's like, okay, if you have the deal, right, that's your commodity, mm -hmm. and if you're able to make this make sense to a private lender, then they may jump in on this deal with you, right? You talked earlier, Janet, about how you do private uh, lending mm -hmm. and hard money. So, for example, let's say I come to you, right, and let's just say I found a house, and let's say the house is worth... I don't know, say $500,000. Mm -hmm. Once it's all fixed up, 
but I got the house under contract for say a hundred thousand dollars and it only needs say fifty thousand dollars worth of work. Okay. So I got the house under contract for a hundred thousand. It's going to take me fifty thousand dollars to pretty much, you know, get it worth five hundred thousand. And I bring this deal to you. Um, how could you work with me? Like, let's talk a little bit about like terms, like structure and deals. Like when I when I talk about making it make sense to an investor, mm-hmm. talk to me, talk to us a little bit about structure and deals and how that would look as far as you know. Is it an interest only loan? Are there points involved? Like what, what has to, what makes it attractive to you? Or just, again, just talk a little bit about terms of private lending. Okay. And so you can create terms. Okay. Yep. With a deal like that, uh, I may even do 50% if I, if I get 50% of the deal. So at one term, one set of terms could be, I get 50% of the deal but then I loan you 100% of the proceeds, either 100% of the acquisition clause. But when we sell it or when we keep it, then we would be 50-50 partners or something like that if it's a, a deal that great. Or if you just want the entire portion of then you, as I said, it may be two or three points uh, initially to start with, plus 65% of the, the acquisition clause. And 100% of, you said $50,000 to finance or 100% of the financing course. So deals actually vary. And the interest rates can go anywhere from right now, for me, they're, tw- uh, they're 12 to 14%. Depend- and, and, and that, once again, I, I do pull credit scores. It depends upon your actual credit score. Now, if, if, if they're low and I'm a part of the deal, then, of course, I can absorb some of that. But you're going to get some other private lenders and hard money lenders is some of them go up to 16 and 18% two, three and four and five points. And then some of them, uh, what I typically do is I loan the entire money. I don't do inspections, but some of them charge you four inspections and a hundred dollars per inspection. So it's going to be very key that you find out what the specifics for are for with any private or hard money lender. Now, what happens with is once you establish a relationship like many of my clients and students are, that second and that third deal, then I'll do 100, uh, 100%. Then I'll give you an option as to whether or not you want to pay me monthly back uh, or you want to pay me on the back end when you refinance. So if, if you don't want to pay me until the end, then of course that's an interest uh, that's a higher interest rate. But I do give you those those options once we have established a relationship. You've paid me back once or twice, then I become your private money lender, which lowers the interest rate as opposed to your hard money lender. So I have a question. Uh, let's say we talk about this deal. Obviously, it's a great deal. I explained. Mm-hmm. Uh, being that the uh, the loan is mm-hmm. uh, secured by the asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who don't know, meaning if you default on the loan, then uh, Janet would pretty much take over that asset. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any opportunity there for either you or maybe do you think anybody else that lends money where somebody could get into this deal without having any of their own money? I would say, and it may be, it may be some other lenders that would want to do that. And as I said, the only way for me is then I, I would become, we would become 50, 50 partners, 50, 50 partners. And, and of course they wouldn't have to put any of their own money if we become 50, 50 
partners on the deal. So for those of you out there listening, uh, or for those of you out there that's watching, uh, pretty much what Janet is saying is that if you have the specialized knowledge to go out there and find these assets, find these deals that are good enough, you can get into this without using any of your own money. All right. I wanted to make a point of that. Um, Janet, we, you talked a lot about uh, points and interest rates and um, and things like that. Can you let everybody know what exactly are points? What are interest rates? What are, what is an interest only loan? What are, what are some of these terms that you spoke about in these loans? Because a lot of people are probably listening and watching, and, and it might be going over their head. You know, they might be new. You know, <laughs> okay. they could be new in the real estate, and they might not even understand what's going on right now. So I kind of want to like you know reach those people out there that has have no idea of this type of. Uh, you know, wealth building conversation that we having right now. Okay. So anytime you're borrowing from anybody, whether or not it's a private money lender or a hard money lender or from a bank, they have to earn money on what they've loaned you. So for example, say you're borrowing something a hundred thousand dollars. So what's temper and the interest rates is 10%. So 10% of a hundred thousand dollars is what? $10,000. So that bank is going to earn $10,000 per year is what they're going to get. And so points are 1%. It's also an interest rate, but it's 1%. So once again, 1% of $100,000. So if you're borrowing and someone charges you 1%, then you would pay $10,000 per year on the interest plus one point would be 1% of 100000 which would be $1,000. So that's the way that you're going to look at, and that's how you calculate your interest rate. Now, interest-only loan, for example, now the banks use something called amortization. Okay, so they'll amortize a loan over 30 years, over 20 years, and that's additional monies. So, And that's a little more complicated. That's something for a later day. But interest-only loans, they say on that, one say on that $100,000 loan that you've gotten for 10%. So the way that you calculate your monthly payments is, as opposed to paying on the, on the $100,000 plus the $10,000, you're only going to pay on the $10,000 during the course of the year. And this is typically what happens with us when, when we're rehabbing uh, for a year. And typically on your hard money loans, they're typically only for six months to a year, which they can be extended. But let's say, let's go back to that $100,000 and the interest rate of $10,000. So what you would do is you would divide that $10,000 by 12, and then that would be your total monthly, uh, monthly rate. And, and when we say interest only, that's all you're paying during the course of the month, during the course of that year. Okay, and then if you extend it, typically there's a charge or there's a fee to extend the loan. And so it and it really pays for somebody like me to extend the loan because I'm getting more interest as opposed to $10,000. I may be getting $20,000, which has happened to me. I've had some students that, that, you know, they were scheduled to pay it off in a year and they wind up paying me in two or two and a half, two and a half years. So they wind up paying me more. And so, of course, you know, it's to my advantage or to the lender's advantage to extend uh, extend the loan. So, um, did you have anything you wanted to say, Owen? No, go ahead. All right, so <laughs> I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit, uh, Janet. 
Uh, well, first of all, Owen, I know you guys are really big in the development. I know you did a huge project up in New Jersey, and I definitely want to talk about that in a second. Uh, but before we get there, Janet, uh, you talked about um, like self-directed IRAs, right? Mm -hmm. And I know you do a lot with IRAs, Roth IRAs, and things like that. Tell everybody how you're using that to build wealth. Oh, absolutely. So first of all, I wished I had known about this even when I was employed. So for you that's employed now and you have a 401k, you can also borrow from your 401k and then establish a self-directed IRA as well. So what a self-directed IRA is, let's say you get an IRA from a Wells Fargo or Chase or anybody like that, you are limited as to what you can do with those IRAs. So a self-directed IRA means you can put money into an IRA. And remember, an IRA, what you're doing is you're reserving your tax. You don't have to pay taxes on that money. And once again, that depends upon the type of IRA. So there's two types. The, there's the IRA that you pay, and especially if you have W-2 income, you're taking the W-2 income, you're taking a portion of that, and you're putting it into an IRA, which in, in this case could be the self-directed IRA, and you're not going to pay taxes on that until you pull that money out. And you have to start pulling that money out at the age, and they've just increased it to age 72. However, you can do a Roth IRA, which means that you are going to pay those taxes now, but when you put that money into the IRA, when you retire, you get everything is tax-free. So there's two ways that you can do that. So in your traditional IRA, which you, you, which you defer the taxes, you put that money into a self-directed IRA. And I, I, I was blessed. I did 35 years with Verizon. So when I left Verizon, I left Verizon with both a 401k and a tr traditional and a pension. And that was over a million dollars. So with my self-directed IRA, I turned that $1 million into $6 million with real estate. Okay. So you, with, with real estate, and that's something that you can absolutely, you can absolutely do. So for those of you that have those 401ks out there, cause you know, when I left Verizon, um, in 2007, Anybody with less than 15 years, they didn't even have a pension anymore. The only thing that they came out with was a 401k. So, but you can transfer some of that money. You can even loan it to yourself and create your own self-directed IRA to build wealth, to build your network. You need to build, you need to buy as much real estate as you can or stocks and bonds because we do, the, we do that as well. And that's where you actually get to create your net, your actual wealth. And I can tell you within the last two or three years, our wealth has, has increased tremendously because the real estate has appreciated. I have a, a $13,000 property now that I bought a few years ago. That one property is worth 250,000. We have over a hundred properties now. So imagine how our wealth has increased. All right. So, um, Real quick before I get to you, Owen, I want I really oh, can't. So wait. good, I yeah, mean, man. I can't wait. We're to talk. family, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this development stuff. Uh, but Janet, I got 
another question for you. All right. Cause you know, when I think about you, Jan, I think about two things, a lot of houses and section eight, right? <laughs> so talk to everybody. I mean, you got me started, you know, all my houses, section eight, I, you know, all thanks to you for showing me the way early on. So, um, Talk to us a little bit about Section 8, why you choose Section 8, certain programs that you're using. Uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, finding the tenants, uh, how to deal with the tenants, tenant placement. Uh, talk a little bit about, um, you know, how you have to um, uh, repair the home to, to be ready for a Section 8 inspection. Uh, things like that, guys, because Section 8 is so important. I mean, it's a really good program. I mean, most of my tenants, um, you know, they're... Uh, what you call it? HAP, you know, housing, I forget what the name of it. Uh, housing choice voucher. <laughs> yeah, HCP, yeah, yeah. Housing choice yeah, voucher. Yeah, their voucher, yeah, their voucher pays. Uh, I don't know where I got HAP from. I got HAP stuck in my mind. Because know. it's the HAP contract, so oh, go get it. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I just HAP know when I'm in my portal. It's, 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 it's the HAP contract. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but anyway, what I was saying was uh, Section 8 pretty much pays like the whole, you know, uh, rent for me, and it's great because I don't have to go looking for tenants. I mean, you know, that's the last thing I want to do is try to track somebody down for my money so talk a little bit about section eight again these programs while you use it um how to use it uh, how you're repairing the houses getting ready for it to be section eight uh ready and all that kind of stuff and for those out there who are watching or listening and they want to build wealth you build excuse me build wealth uh using section eight uh, again just how do you get started kind of like a, a through z type of thing if you can briefly like okay briefly i absolutely can as a matter of fact Stay tuned for my online course uh, for Section 8. And it's going to be entitled, Please Don't Call Me Section 8, because, it, it, I mean, it, it's no longer really called Section 8, but we continue to use it. It's really called the Housing Choice Voucher Program. Yep. Now, first of all, it, and it's ran by HUD uh, throughout the United States, and it's the only country that I, where you can take advantage and have an opportunity to do that. Now, each, uh, and there's two different types of Section 8. So you have a housing choice voucher, whereby the voucher stays with the tenant, and the tenant can take that anywhere into the country. There's also project-based vouchers, which we have. I have some here in Baltimore County, and I have some, all of my properties in New Jersey are what's called uh, project-based vouchers. Vouchers. What that means is the voucher stays with the property and not with the tenant. So therefore, if the tenant moves out, then the county or the city are going to replace that with a very new tenant for me. But for most of us, we do the tenant-based vouchers. And what that means is the tenant has a voucher, and it actually depends upon where they are in the country. We're in Maryland, we're in New Jersey, and we're in Atlanta. So in New Jersey and in Maryland, you don't have to have any qualifications. All you have to do is to provide the property, and the tenant has to want your property. So what you're going to do is you're going to advertise an affordable, it used to be called Section8.com. It's now called AffordableHousing.com. Or you can advertise in Craigslist, Turbo Tenant, or any of those things and say vouchers are welcome. So once that tenant looks at your property and says, I want your property, then what you're going to do, and they have what's called an RFTA, Request for Tenant uh, Approval. So they provide you, you complete that Request for Tenancy Approval. You, you look around to determine what the rents are and what you're looking for. 
HUD provides what's called the fair market rent. So say, for instance, a one-bedroom. One-bedrooms for this year are going, the highest is eleven twenty-five for a one-bedroom. That doesn't mean that you're going to get that eleven twenty-five, but you can get up to that anywhere from 8 to 11. That's going to depend upon the zip code that your tenant is in and how many people are in Section 8 in any particular zip code. The more Section 8 people are in one zip code, the less rents that you're going to get in, in those areas. And then the rents go up every single year. So the other thing in, script, in, in terms of a tenant, I don't even allow the tenant to either see my unit until they have the RFTA or the request for tenancy approval in hand. Because what sometimes often what happens is they're window shopping and they may not even be able at that particular time to even move because they're limited by Section 8 as to when they actually can move. So you need to see that they have that. So don't even waste your time unless they have that. So once you get that and it's the RFTA is approved, then it goes and that property must be inspected and it's called HQS or housing quality standards. Sometimes that's the hard part because oftentimes it's inspectors and, and in, all inspectors are not the same and they all, even though they should be utilizing the same housing quality standards, they all do something a little different. Unless you establish a relationship with them. And we've done that. I'm on the uh, HQS board, on the Housing Authority Board in Baltimore City. So, God forbid, if something, if I have issues with the inspectors, I can call the head inspector because that's the biggest issue. They all don't do things and they don't all inspect the same. And so, they're only supposed to turn you down for health quality issues. And more often than not, they do that. Sometimes they look for things. As a matter of fact, I had an inspector where my property was absolutely immaculate. And he didn't want to pass it on the first go around. So what he did is he went upstairs and he took the windows off of the hinges. So just so that he can fail it. Once I called, I called his boss who came out the very next day and approved that property for me. So those are the little things that you actually have to go th- that you actually have to go through. The other thing is, uh, as you heard Mark say, Mark said that most of his tenants don't have to pay anything, but it's going to depend upon what their actual income is. And so when I'm screening a tenant, I want to know if they're existing and they're, they're not new. I want to know number one, why they are moving. And then number two, how much are you paying now? towards your uh, Section 8, because they may have a portion to pay. Some don't have to pay anything. I have many tenants that 100% is paid, and that's because they don't have an income at all. But some tenants have, uh, have I have one tenant now, her rent is 1466 She has to pay 1412 So you don't want to get those tenants that have a large amount that they have to pay, because at some point they may get it, they may run into trouble. And then, of course, we have them pay their water bills. So along with a higher paying a water bill, more often than not, you'll have trouble with them. So you want those tenants that have either zero to pay or very little to pay. I had, and I had to evict one tenant that only had to pay $14 toward, towards his rent. 
I had another tenant that I've just recently evicted. She didn't have to pay anything towards her rent. However, she wasn't paying her water bill. So, of course, if they're not paying their water bill, we're going to evict them. And we're going to evict them as well. But, I mean, in a nutshell, that's pretty much. And then in some states, and you have to do your own due diligence. For example, in Atlanta, you actually have to qualify in order to be on the Section 8 program as a landlord. So you have to give them your credit scores. You have to fill out an application and things like that. So you have to find out via your state as to what the qualifications are for the Housing Choice Voucher Program. The other thing Janet that Janet does is, she do, she goes out and does an inspection Absolutely. of their property mm-hmm. property before the tenant moves in, and because you want to know what type of tenant that you're getting in, and you, you know they may be paying, you may be getting a hundred percent, but that tenant may be somebody that's going to tear up your property, and that's not the type of tenant you want in your property. Right. So, oh, and let me ask you this, man: What are some of the things when you say you know you go out and you buy a property, right? Whether it be from a wholesaler, or a real estate agent, however you buying your properties, and you go out and you buy this property, what are some of the things that you do to the property to make sure that it's going to be past the Section Eight inspection? Like, what are some of those things that Section Eight is going to look for on their initial inspection and make sure these certain things are done? I mean, some of the biggest things are your capital improvement things, your, your boilers, your electricity. Electricity, you got to make sure the windows are operational. Um, those are the key things, the roof, no, no roof, no leaks coming, coming through. Those are the main items that you want to look for because those are your big capital expenses. Everything else for the most part is cosmetic. Uh, Janet handles all of the interior, making sure that, you know, they get the granite countertops, tops, and, you know, she's an expert in shopping for all, all of that stuff. But the main thing that I look for when I'm coming in is to, is the property structurally sound, um, you know, the roof, did there no leaks. Uh, the furnaces operating properly, uh, the electricity, uh, those are the key things because those are the things that run you as you, I'm pretty sure you know Mark, Mark that's going to run you some money. Yeah, yeah, you got to make sure it's like no chip and paint. What about smoke detectors? Absolutely, smoke detectors, you know, when you come in the interior, you know, you know, you got to do the paint, you got to make sure the smoke detectors, uh, the smoke detectors are all operational. I think now all of them have to be, what is it, Janet, C, um, Hardwired. You'd have hard to have wire, the hardwired hard in 10 wire. years with backup yeah. battery. Yeah. Of and course, you, your electrical uh, units on the, uh, on the flooring, GFIs in yeah. proper locations and yeah. things like that as well. Your yeah. flooring, yeah. Your, uh, there can't be any um, tears or holes in the carpeting. If you have mm-hmm. carpeting, must be cleaned and so forth. We don't even do carpeting, carpeting. anymore at all. Yeah. And, I, and the reason why I brought the smoke detectors, guys, that's really important because what you don't want to do is you don't want to renovate your whole property, get it ready for Section 8, and the inspector comes in there and your, hard, your smoke detectors are not hardwired. Then you yeah. got to open up the walls and mm-hmm. go and do it. Mm-hmm. So that's a big thing. So when that's you renovate, the first thing you do when you're doing the renovations. Right. Yep. So when you're renovating the property, make sure that all of your smoke detectors are hardwired to the yeah. panel. Um Owen, man, I want to. I'm, I'm finally here, man. I want to talk about this development because I remember you sent me an article one time, man, and it was about this big old massive building in New Jersey where you're from, mm-hmm. uh, and it needed a whole new renovation. It looked like so. First thing I was thinking, like, man, that's a lot of work. They about to get done. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that stood out to me the most, and I'm gonna ask you if you could just talk about this whole deal, is I think you had got maybe like a few six million dollars or something like that in taxes or something like that taken off. Or and I yeah. thought that was great, man. How did you? go about that how did you find the deal and more importantly like why does this deal make sense like why did you even do it in the first place 
Well, one of the things that Janet and I, when we first got started in the business, we never really wanted to do single families, families and duplexes. We wanted to start out with apartment buildings. But only at that particular time, apartment buildings were so expensive, we didn't have the money money to do it. So we said uh, Andre into it was getting into single family, building our capital up. And what that led us to now where we have two sides of our business. We have what's called the residential side, which Janet handles most of that, that I deal with the con- a lot of the contractors and getting the properties fixed up. She deals with the administrative part, the tenants and what have you. But we, we finally got to the point then where we could start looking at doing bigger deals. deals. So, um, you know, we, we went back to New Jersey because we own properties in New Jersey. And as we talked about it earlier, everything in life is based on relationships. Mm-hmm. So having come from the city, having ran housing for the city and having known a lot of the both people who are still working in government as well as elected officials, we started talking around. I ran into an old colleague of mine that we've known one another for 25 years. Years, So he said, Owen, I have, he, he, ran, he runs the parking authority, parking authority. So one of the things I learned from being down here in Baltimore, you can build on air rights, air rights. So we started talking about, hey, look, man, if um, uh, I like this location, location, he showed us some locations that he had, and they were all prime locations. I said, if we can structure deal, deal where I want to build an apartment building, but I want to build it on the air rights of your parking, you know, of your surface parking lot. So that was the first time they ever did something like that. So it took a minute, minute of the, you know, just fast forwarding. The project was very complicated because it entailed about 12 different sources of financing, financing, you know, at that, at that particular time we got from the, uh, from the city, we got home dollars. We're getting project-based vouchers for this, for this particular project. Um, we got state of New Jersey money. We got $16 million in what was called ERD, ERD economic growth incentive centers from the state of New Jersey. Uh, there was a bunch of programs. We got low-income housing tax credits. Credits. We got all of those different types of funding, funding to make the project work. The project was a $40 million project. Now, mind you now, Janet and I, we have great credit, credit, but we don't have the liquidity to finance a $40 million project project. So one of the things that you had mentioned to earlier, earlier, I had the concept, I had the relationship with the parking authority to get site control. The first thing I had to do, do no different than the smaller projects that you do. do. And one of the things that when people have to look at doing deals, don't necessarily look at the, the numbers. You got to look at the structure of the deal deal. So I begin to play with structure of the deal deal. I got the I got an agreement with the parking authority where I got an MOU that eventually became an LOI, and then I began to look at joint venture partners to partner with. I had a concept of what we wanted to do: grandparents raising grandchildren, grandchildren, which I knew I could pitch for the city. City, I know that the local council people and people would love it because that's a big thing that's happening across the country now, and that's how we got rolling in this particular deal. So what happened to our partners is, a, you know, we have a great partnership with a company called Wind Development. Um, you know, they get, a, they get a nice chunk of the deal because I'm really relying upon basically their liquidity. liquidity. Janet and I, we never do deals where we're not skinning the game, game. You know, we're skinning the game players because that way when we're sitting at the table, it allows us to make decisions too. A lot of times if you don't have any skin in the game, game you're at the mercy of the person that you're borrowing the money money from, 
from. So it was, it's a labor of love. It took us, it really took us what, two years to, or three years to really. Three years. Mm-hmm. You know, three years to structure the relationship with the parking authority to get the deal done. And we're finally now under construction. We'll probably finish the deal. The, the, everything will be finished in April, late April, early, early May. But from that one deal, as Janet mentioned, and as we talked about earlier, earlier, we're now buying a building across the street, which is a six. Let me go back. This project here is a 74 unit uh, project project with parking uh, for each tenant. And from the from that particular deal now, we're now doing a deal right across the street where we're buying a property that's a 68 unit unit apartment building building that we will probably close on that deal uh, probably in June sometime. We're just finalizing our last piece piece of financing. But from the relationships that we develop from all of that and people know that we're creditable. Oh, I'm in Jersey every two weeks, two weeks on the project. We have an office there. There people see us. We're visible. People know that we're not just in it, in it just for the money, money. Uh, we're not just there to take a development fee and run, run. We're actually there as owners, owners. So it's worked out well for us and it's really opened up a lot more opportunities for us to, I think we have about, we have, we're getting ready to start on a veterans project. That's right across the street from that. Same thing with the parking authority. We're going to build on the air rights of that. We'll break ground on that sometime in November, October, November this year. And then we're getting ready. We'll do another deal that has a little bit more complicated. And we'll probably break ground on that. Probably the end of the year, probably December, November of 20, uh, January of 2024. And that's going to be probably about 110, 112 unit unit project. So, you know, we've really gotten into the whole development game as a family. My brother-in-law, although I hate mentioning his name, 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 name. I can't stand a little. <laughs> but, but, you know, we do it as a family. And the great thing about us is that we work very well as a family, mm-hmm. family. And we put our heads together, together. Uh, oftentimes we, we don't disagree. We, we definitely don't agree on everything. But one of the things we've learned to work well as a family, we developed great relationships with various lender, lenders that now are coming to us and saying that, Hey, look, if you guys find a deal as a family now, now we're looking, we have our partners, partners that any deals that are like a hundred units or more, more, we partner with them. But also now we've gotten to a sweet spot with us that if we find an apartment building, ourselves 2020 about 50 units units or something that can be developed up into 30 units we have lenders now now that are coming to us and say hey look man if you find a deal deal you're good with us we can do up to 15 million 20 million dollars dollars of that loan with you guys and we have relationships with other state agency agencies the other the other key to that i believe that we had to really and we did an assessment this year at our end of the year or the first, what was that? End of the year, first quarter retreat. Well, did we go, was it Lagos or was it um, Dubai? Which one? It was like, it was Lagos. Okay. That was what? End of the year. That was first, that, that was, was first, first quarter, quarter retreat in first Lagos, Nigeria. Mm-hmm. What we had to do ourselves, we had to look internally ourselves and say, what are we strong at? What are we weak at? And so we did that assessment and said, we're strong at A, B, and C, but we're weak at D, E, and F. So what we had to do is go back and look at identifying some people that we bring to the table, table 
where we were weak at, and that's what we've done. Done. You know, the good thing, like I said, I was in doing this for a long time, so I knew some people. I went back and I called some of my old colleagues that were 30, you know, that I've known for 25, 30 years that had the strengths where we were weak at, and they're coming on as partners. One of the biggest things I think that we have to do as people, people, when we're getting into this game, is be willing to share money. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we get into the deal, we want to do 100%. We want to make 100% of the profit. But a lot of times when you look at even the large developers that are in the game, they got multiple partners in, in the deal. They're, once you peel back the onion peel, peel, they got multiple partners in the deal to share in the risk, to share in the, in the experience of it. And that's one of the things that we've learned along the way. And I think that people of color especially will be more successful once they learn learn that. What do you want? 100% of nothing or 30 40% of a, of a, of a 40 60 $70 million deals. And, and the development fees that we make from these deal, deals along, along with the residual income that comes on the back end is pretty nice money. So I'm glad you said that, man. You said uh, development fee, mm-hmm. right? A lot of us out there who are just getting started in real estate wholesaling, um, we're used to the word assignment fee. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference between an assignment fee and a development fee? Developer fee is normally when you're doing a transaction and when you're putting together your portfolio or you're putting together your performer for the deal, deal, you're allowed to make a certain percent as a fee fee for putting it together. Some, well, I was, gonna, I was gonna say you said pro forma. What's that? Most people might not know what that is. Your financial statements, your or what they would call your capital stack stack, because you have to put together a capital stack. No different than when you're doing your deals, you have to put together a capital stack or your financials to take to the bank. Bank, the bank will look at it. They'll say. Yes, I can finance this deal. Deal. So for the work that you put in into the deal, deal, you're allowed to take a certain percentage as a developer's fee out of the deal. And those developer's fees can be anywhere from 10, 12, 13, 14 percent developer's fee. So when you start looking at developer's fee for $50 million projects, $60 million projects, those developer fees can be quite hefty. So if I'm watching right now, if I'm listening right now, because um, you're getting deep here, I like this, man. If, I, if I'm watching right now, if I'm listening right now, I'm like, man, look, I want to skip all that. I want to be a developer, but I don't know anything, right? And let's just say I just happened to come across you, Owen, and you said, and I asked you, I said, Owen, can you mention me, man? I don't know nothing about development. And you said, all right, you know, I'll do it. What's the first thing you would tell me to do, man? Like, how would how would I go about becoming a developer, man? Like, with no money, I don't have no money, man. Like, my credit's not the best, but I want to be a developer. Is there anything you can tell me that can get me in the game? That's a tough one, Mark. I mean, because, you know, when you start talking about development, development and getting into development game, you got to bring something to the table besides your ass, you know, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta have either you're going to bring a particular project. Like for instance, in order for me to get my joint venture partner excited about wanting to partner with me, why would they want to partner with me? They didn't need me. My, my partner, my joint venture partner is the largest developer of affordable housing in the country mm. country. So why do they need me? Right, exactly. So I had to, I had to really, when Janet and Darren and all of us were doing our home homework, we had to look at different people because we turned down a couple of people that 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 wanted to really what we feel take advantage of us. We want to, as like you had mentioned earlier, earlier, we wanted to, we wanted to identify 
an asset that would make us valuable to them. Mm-hmm. You got to bring something to the table that makes you valuable to us, yep. us, us. And that could be, hey, look, I have site control over this property. I found I found that the partner that we were partnering in, they wanted to get into Patterson. They wanted to get into urban areas, but they didn't know how to break in. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to start doing more deal deals, but they didn't have the relationship with the local people, people or any of those people. So what I did with when I say I mean Janet and Daryl and I, mm-hmm. what we did, what we did is we got site control over the land. And they were like, How did you do that? That's a great question because I was about to ask you for everybody <laughs> that's watching and listening. Yeah. How did you do that? That, you know, that was a relationship. Relationship. And, and you know how much we paid for that? How much? Zero. Zero. Now, that, now that truly was a no money down deal. <laughs> but what is site control though? <laughs> Tell everybody what that site, is. Site control. Site control is no different than when you were going, when you were um, uh, wholesaling, wholesaling mm-hmm. and you get a seller to want to give you the rights to that property to, to sell it to someone. Okay. No difference in that. Sense. So really, again, when you look at development, it's no different than doing the smaller deals. It's just now, as a as opposed to a ten thousand dollar deal or thirty thousand dollar deal, now you're talking about a thirty million dollar deal, fifty million fifty million dollar deal. We have to get, uh, we have to not look at the zeros attached to it and look at at the potential deal deal. So that's what I did. I had to had to have a long conversation with again relationships. I knew me and him. We went back twenty five years together together. So what I did, I had to sit down with him and his board and structure a deal for him that would not only be good for me, but would be good for the authority as well. Well, so that they would be making money on the back end. As a result of that, he would give me the rights to develop on that, on that site. So in order to make this still attractive to the banks, it had to be a deal where I had a 99 year lease on the deal. deal. I, had, I had to get a 99 year agreement on the deal. So once I consummated all of that, that, then the developer, my, my my joint venture partner, and there were others too that was starting to come to us because they wanted to get into this urban area that they couldn't get into. Into They were never able to penetrate the parking authority or this agency the way we were able to do it. Do it. So that's how we got into that, that, that. But we have to, a deal has to be good for both sides. It, it can't be a one-way streak. It has to be beneficial for everybody. Now, the beautiful thing about it took us a minute to structure that one deal with this particular agency. But now we have three other sites with the same agency. So now it's not going to take us as long because it's cookie cutter now. Mm-hmm. Now we just do the same, essentially the same terms, terms. It's just different lots and blocks, blocks. And right. then and I, and I want to say, Mark, in answer to your question, if I were coming to you as a developer, as I say to everyone, you got to crawl, walk. And then run. So in your scenario, unless you had a property or unless you had some land yeah. to offer someone yeah. or unless you have some money, development is a long game. Yeah. And then you have to have money as well to be putting towards it during those three to five years. Yeah. I mean, because there are architecture fees, yeah. there are environmental fees and all types of things like that. So what I would say to you is to start small first, get your feet wet because first of all, you're not even going to be financeable. 
until you have some of those things done before you can actually get into develop development. And, and let's not talk about legal fees, mm-hmm. fees, and all of the all of the all of the things that go into doing the, making the deal happen happen that a lot of times people don't think about lunches, you know, travel, travel, mm-hmm. travel. Mm-hmm. The one thing, the one, and you have to do, you have to do things that separate yourself from the pack. pack. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, uh, as I mentioned, our joint venture partner, they're the largest in the, in the country and what they do from the day one that when we met them, them to now, now they never had to pick up a lunch when we go out. Oh, we're in Jersey every two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. We, we, we take our architect. If our attorney is available, we, we take him. We take the people, the deputy mayor, our joint venture partner, partner. We all go, we all go to this little place where we go with happy hour and we kick it for two, three hours. But that's where the deals are that's really, the deals deals are are really con- made. Mm-hmm. Consummated there because we have all the decision makers. But guess what? There are only two people that pick up a check, and that's me and Down. Down, we don't allow some. Occasionally, somebody will sneak and pick up a check, but again, you got to make yourself presentable to somebody to want to do business with you. Right. They, they, to do business with you, there are people that sit around the table. Right. There's, you know, very good friend of mine. I love him to death. That's my, you know, you know, and he comes, comes. So one time, um, the bill came. And they gave him the bill, and everybody knows his reaction. He jumped back like that. That and and you got to remember, people pay attention to those type of things. So you know, one day he wants to be a player, but it's the little things that separate you from the pack. If you're going to be big, or if you're going to play in this game, because your your name goes places that you never go, and that's good or bad. Mm, say that again, Owen. I said your name goes places that you never go, and the bad gets out there quicker than the good. Mm-hmm. Good, good. So the great thing about us, not everybody likes us, but one of the things that we've done, done, we we have developed good relationships with people, and we do what we say we're gonna Done-do. do. Mm-hmm. We I have an excellent well, reputation yeah. throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's that's what's bringing people to us now. And guess what? Our joint venture partner, we sat down with our joint venture partner and we said, hey, look, we went out to Boston and met with the owner, owner of the company. company. And so we're sitting in, you know, on his loft in his apartment, I mean, in, in his office, office and drinking tequila and what have you. So he said, man, you know, what do you guys want for you? You know, where, where do you guys want to go? What do you guys want to do? We said, you want the same damn thing you want, want? you know, that you built for your company, we want to build for ours. So as a result of them seeing how hard we work and how we're bringing not only, we're bringing them deals and we're getting them into communities that they wouldn't be able to get into. So what they're doing now, remember, they're a big company. So people are always bringing them deals, you know, 300, 500 unit, units. So I said to them, look, on the deals that you guys can't do, because again, if they're bringing them three, four hundred uh, unit deals, sometimes there's deals that's thirty units, fifty units. So guess what? When those deals come up, they send them to us, mm-hmm. us now. So we did. They just sent us a deal that we're looking at. I don't think we're gonna. It's gonna happen. We looked at it last week when we were in Jersey, but uh, they sent us a deal in Orange, New Jersey, that was for forty-two units. Units. So we, you know, we're dealing with the realtor 
on that deal. Now, what happens is that when the, the realtor know, knows that this win is sending, is referring us to them, then now I cultivate a relationship with this realtor. So when deals come up of that 30, 40, 50 unit, units, they think of us to want to do it because they'll right. say, I know when is interested in it. So we're real excited about the future. We're real excited about the prospects. Uh, it gets better and better every month month because we're running into more and more opportunities. And, you know, like you, we, again, we're always so proud of you. You were, uh, you were uh, like a, you were like the star for us, us, but you know, when you throw enough, when you throw enough stuff up against the board or not everything is going to stick, stick, yeah. but you, you know, you look at the things that do stick and you do it, do it. And then that comes to per persistence, perseverance, and then being good. Matter of fact, I talked about you in, in Charleston yeah. last yeah, week, talked sure. about being good at what yeah. you do, because I say everybody become excellent at that one thing, yeah. because once you become excellent, in that one thing, all other opportunities will then avail themselves. And, and like Mark, you said, and, and you all know this, we all know this, and what we do, what we don't kill, we don't eat. Yeah. So you always got to be on the hunt. You always got to be on the prowl. So, you know, I grind all the time. You know, it's for me, it's, I go seven days a week. We got to go when I'm sick, sick, because one, I love what we do, do, but it's a great, it, it's a great, um, honor to be able to look where we've come from to where we are now, now, and also to be an example for other people, people, because we don't want to be the only ones that's doing it because there's so much money out there to be made, made. There's no, one of the things that we're learning as the more we're in this game, there's no shortage of it's money. Absolutely. No shortage of money. The shortage is in our mindset. Yeah, mindset. There you so go. what I need for us, especially folks that look like us, we don't have to be crabs in a barrel. Yeah. There is no scarcity and there is no uh, no shortage of money out there. And we can earn as much as we believe that we can earn. But the most important part of it is that we got to believe it. And then, as Owen said, it's about relationships and it's about partnership. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's my mission uh, until, you know, I die now is to, get us as women to understand that. And as African-Americans, we're so behind. I just read something in the paper this morning about, you know, we're 1% behind in wealth. Uh, we're behind the Hispanics now. So we got, we got to change that narrative. Uh, we didn't get our 40 acres in a mule, but we got to go out and we can go out and we can get that 40 acres in, in a mule. If that's something uh, that we desire. There was a study about maybe two or three weeks ago in the New York Time, Times, and they talked about all of the developers in the United States. I think the, the article read that something new, there was like 112,000 developers in the United States. Of the 112,000, there was only 1,000 minorities, and that included men. I mean, you know, that include women, Hispanics, and black blacks. And they talked about, you know, the challenges that we all face, face. And they are challenges. I mean, mm -hmm, they're, absolutely. They're, when you start talking about development, it, I mean, when you look at the guys and gals that are really doing it and doing it big, they have all kinds of relationships, institutional relationships. But we have to build those too, too. And like Janet said earlier, we got to be willing to crawl, walk, and run, run. Because I do believe that once you get in, once people get into knowing you, whether they're black or white and they like you, 
they'll open the door for you. And you know what, the way we roll. Well, all you need to do is crack the door for us, us, and we're going to go in it and do we're going to be a Serena. We're going to yeah. be a tiger. Uh, yeah. That's why sometimes they don't want us into it yeah. because then yeah. we really, we, we really take over it when we're doing well. All right. So um, what was I going to say, man, that was, that was great information from, from both of you. I want to thank y'all for coming on the show. And uh, before we wrap it up, uh, I'm going to start with you, Owen. Um, you know, first question is, uh, you know, the name of the show is uh, no acres in a dream. So I want to, ask you first uh what that means to you and uh secondly i want to say you know it's a, it's a lot of guys man that you know they either see me out or they hit me up on social media they go like, what's up big bro what's up og man i need you to put me on you know i need you show me the way you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i give them as much information as i can man and i and i look at you as like you know as like an og you know what mm -hmm. i mean so for like the men out there you know whether they uh, in the streets trying to get out the streets or they just you know working a dead-end job and they just really trying to get ahead man um i want you to you know, ask, you know, what you had to say to them, man. And then uh, if you could answer that first and then tell me what uh, no acres in a dream mean to you. I think if, I think the first thing you have to do and is to have a dream and never give up on your dream. A lot of times, a lot of times we give up on our dreams, dreams. You know, if we run into a wall or we run into an obstacle or we or somebody says no to us, us, we're ready to give up. But also we have to learn how the game is played. Hey, you got to look at game. I look at game as life, as baseball or football or basketball or anything. You got to get in. You got to learn the fundamentals. You have a son that plays basketball. Yeah. You know, you just don't get him out there and you just start throwing the ball up and start shooting. The fundamentals, though, you got to learn how to dribble. dribble. You got to learn how to shoot and you got to follow through that goes with it. So you got to learn the fundamentals and you have to take the time. Everybody, not everybody. A lot of people, when they get into the, when they look at, making money, I think TV, the REE, the real, really destroys people's concept of, of, of the REA or REAL world, world because the real world, you don't get rich overnight. Right? Everything that you do, you got to put that hard work in, into it. So there's no get rich quick, quick, but never give up on your dream because once you give up on your dream, you've lost every, everything, lost everything, everything, man. Again, again, you have to realize too. You've motivated us too, too. When we were watching you, I said, "Look at Mark, damn, hey, look <laughs> at him, that boy rolling, man." I'm and 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 I said, "Look at that young man go." So you you gave us a spark too in different things that you were doing, doing, and you know how you would travel and doing different things. And we're saying, "Man, there's no shortage of money. Look at Mark; he can do it. We can do it." So you motivated us as well. Well, so. It's not it's not older people. You learn from everybody, everybody not not just not just mm -hmm. older people. You learn from young people because you can extrapolate the good and the there's bad from from both sides. Um, the, your first question was, look, nobody's gonna give you that that forty acres. You got to go out there and get it. Get it. it. It's as simple as that. That you know that was just some BS BS that you have to go out there and you have to make a way for yourself. Those people who never give up on the dream understand that there's no such thing as 40 acres and a mule. And, a mule. and again, I don't think you want anybody to give it to you because if somebody just gives it to you, to you, you really lose the appreciation of having to work for it, for, for it. And then if I, somebody gives it to you, it can easily be taken away from, for sure. from you. But if, when you have to get out there and you have to work and earn it, earn it yourself, 
you learned the game. You've learned the game, and we've all learned the game from A to Z. If somebody just gave you, you know, here's 100 acres or 40 acres, and what do you do with it? Yeah. With it? Look at people who win the lottery. A lot yeah. of people win the lottery. You know, they have $55 million, and next year they broke. They broke, yeah. Because they don't know how to budget. They know nobody taught them how to manage. Manage, they just go out there and start buying everything, and the next thing you know, they broke. broke. They forget about paying Uncle Sam. And Uncle Sam said, I don't give a dog on what happened. I'm going to get my money. For They're going to yeah, for sure. You know, so sure. again, um, but again, you know, you have been motivation to us, us as well. So it's a two way street streak. So when you asked us to do this, this, although, you know, I had some, I still got another surgery. I have to have that done. I said, it's an honor, man. Mark wants us to be on the show. I mean, I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be there. I appreciate it. It's exciting, man, because we all have to be supportive of one another, one another to make it, make it. And like I said, we all can help one another make money, money. And as we make money, we don't mind sharing with people how to do it, do it, but giving it to them. No, you got to, these, this is what you have to do. Right. Right. So, so Janet, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, man. Uh, Janet, one thing I know um, about you for sure is that you are super, super serious about empowering women, uh, young women, all women, uh, especially women that look like us. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to ask you, uh, you know, first I want to ask you, uh, you know, what's your take on, uh, you know, or how do you interpret uh, no acres in a dream? But before you get to that, uh, what do you want to say to all the women out there that's listening or watching right now? Okay. First of all, I'd like to say all women. First of all, I'm your mother. I'm your auntie. I'm your niece. I could be some of your grandmothers. What I, the first, one, three things that I want you to understand and to take away from here. There's always a way number two you can always begin again it doesn't matter how old or how young you are and number three it's always too soon to quit and even if you can get one house and we should all for me real estate or a house should be the foundation of all of your passive income but it one house can change not only your life but the trajectory of your family's life. So it will behoove each and every one of you because so many of us, so many of our young women, we have like six female doctors and my own two daughters are not married and may not even get married. So it will behoove you to learn financial literacy first, get your credit scores in, in order, and then, you know, l- listen to some of the educators. And the other thing is, uh, I do have a book called The Turning Point. And the reason I can say this to you as, as an older woman, I've been there. Anything that you have gone through, I absolutely have gone through. I'm from the Christopher Columbus Projects, the CCP, Building 415C, Patterson, New Jersey. Grew up in po- poverty where drug abuse and what was the norm. Almost got raped uh, because the elevators were all always broken in that town. But if I can do it, you can absolutely do it as well. So that's what I want you to understand. And then no acres in a mule, uh, as Owen. No acres in a dream. No acres in a dream. As Owen said, I want you to dream. I mean, and that's one of the things that, you know, what I suffered with. I suffered from low self-esteem. I had no dream because we weren't taught how the established goes, especially in Patterson. Patterson is a town unlike no other where there's low aim or there's no aim. Even today, 
I mean, I remember years ago when we were in Patterson, Owen got a Corvette. And someone in the political arena said, well, what's Owen doing, selling drugs? That's the only thing that they can actually see there today. So I want you, as Owen said earlier, to have this dream. And then once again, go out and get our 40 acres. Even if you have to come together as a family, go ahead and pull your monies together. I mean, the other ethnicities are doing it. I mean, we get upset with the Hispanics when they come over uh, with people from Vietnam and the Koreans and so forth. But what they're doing, they're pulling their monies together. That was us years and years ago. We need to start doing, we need to start doing those things. And then, I mean, in our church, we teach the, the, the folks to pay their houses off. And a lot of young women do have their houses off. But as I said to Pastor, okay, now, once you've paid your houses off, then what are you going to do with it? You need to learn how to invest. Invest in stocks, invest in uh, mortgages. And perhaps you don't want to be a landlord or, or buy a house, but there's other ways that you can do that. You can get real estate investment trusts. You can do crowdfunding. I'm buying more. I'm doing all anything that I talk to you about. I'm actually, we're actually doing it. You can buy mortgage notes, and, and those are other ways that we can make. Listen, poor people spend their money. Rich people make their money grow. And so that's what we have to learn as a people to, to make our money grow. And then the other thing, we need to prioritize. I, my second book is going to be Pocketbook, Shoes, Houses, You Choose. And some of us, I don't know if I can say it, though, some of us are taking personal loans to buy. Their, I want your assets to pay for your asses, okay? So you need to get your houses and all things. So we need to prioritize where we're spending our money. And some of us say we don't have money, but we're putting two and $300 sneakers on our baby's feet. We're paying $1,000 and $2,000 for somebody else's name. Come on, we can take that money and pull it together. And so that's my course. And so look for me. I'm, we're going to have some uh, online courses, and I do have some courses that are available to you as well. You know, Mark, one of the things that Janet said is that as a race of people, it's not like we don't make money. I, years ago, I'm quite sure it's still the same, but that if you look at all of the wealth of the black people, I think we would be rated as the, eighth or ninth wealthiest country in the in the world. But we don't save anything. As soon as we make the money, we spend it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, too, sometimes when you go through the hood and you look at, at people in, in the hood, you can look at them and they don't dream. They, they have no dreams whatsoever. Their whole day exists of, let me wake up in the morning, let me go sit on the corner, corner let me buy my liquor, let me sell some weed or whatever it is and get high, high. So, you know, as Janet said, and we both said, you know, you've got to have dreams that are just bigger than that. That, But a lot of times, you know, even in Baltimore, I go to certain, through certain areas, and I go back home or go to Newark, New Jersey, other urban areas, and you can go through certain areas where you can see just despair. People have no dreams. Yep. Dream. So, you know, if, once you lose the ability to dream and, and you lose that ability to fight and want, want for things, all right, y'all. So we're gonna wrap it up there. Uh Janet, thank you so much for taking your time to come out. Owen. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Thanks for having us. Yep. Having us, man. Yeah. All right. So for for those of you out there that's watching and listening, I thank y'all for joining us as well. And we're gonna see y'all on the next show. <laughs>